At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Well, how many love his word this morning? How many thank God for his word? I invite you to join me this morning in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, We've been in a series that we are concluding today. We're going to be starting a new series next week. But this series that we've been on in has looked at a few chapters in the Gospel of Mark, and it's been designed to be able to testify to one great truth, and that is the deity of Jesus, the hallmark of the Christian faith, the central tenet of the Christian faith, the earliest creedal statement of the Christian faith is Jesus is Lord. How many believe that? That Jesus is Lord of all. But that is a bold claim. In the earliest days, that was a bold claim. To say that Jesus was Lord alone was to say that Caesar was not. To say that Jesus is Lord in our day is to say that all of the other religions are are not. Uh, To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is the one and only true God. Now, you can't make a statement that bold without evidential support. And that's what this series has been all about. Thy kingdom come. His reign in our lives. We want to establish that Jesus is God because that's who he claimed himself to be. He claimed himself to be one with God, to be God. But you can't make a statement without, like that without supporting evidence. You see, in order for anyone to be God, they would have to have certain attributes. Theologians have agreed about this from the beginning, that they would have to have uh, what are called the omnis. Maybe you've heard this before, that they would have to be, in order for someone to be God, omniscient, uh, meaning all-knowing. They would be, have to be omnipresent, meaning throughout all time or eternal. They would have to be omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, and they would have to be omnibenevolent, meaning all-loving. They couldn't just have a portion of these attributes. They would have to have the fullness of these attributes. And it pleased the Lord that in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead would dwell bodily. And so throughout the series, what we've seen is that Jesus demonstrates again and again that he has all of the omnis, that he is um, omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is omnipotent, he is omnibenevolent, he proves it as he casts out demons, as he calms nature, as he cures sickness, he proves it again and again, 
And today, once again, we're going to see that Jesus is both all-powerful and all-loving. How many praise God for that? That you serve a Savior who is all-powerful and all-loving. I want you to leave with that great encouragement because it births hope even in the most desperate of situations when you know that your Savior has you in the palm of his hands. And he is not too weak that he cannot save. And he is very loving and compassionate towards you. I hope that your heart is filled with hope like mine has been as I study this passage. This morning, we are introduced to two stories. It's kind of a sandwich of stories, if you will. Uh, Mark has this tendency of starting a story, inserting a different story, and wrapping up the first story. Anybody like that out there? Right? A little uh, storytelling, ADHD a little bit. Uh, but, but Mark does it strategically. He does it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a storyteller who gets a little bit distracted, don't worry. You're in good company. Uh, but Mark starts the, this story and, and sandwiches in between another story because he wants us to see the connection. The Spirit of God is driving home a message for us. And today what we're going to see is two miraculous healings, two miraculous healings. But let me just say this about what we get wrong often about the healing ministry of Jesus. So often when we read about the healing ministry of Jesus, we think about it from our vantage point only. And what we don't often ask is what is God up to in this? What is God wanting us to see, to know about him, his love? Why, from heaven's perspective, would God heal any of us? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves as we go into the text of Scripture. Remembering this, that Jesus is always the main character of every story. That God is always the central figure of every story. That these stories are given not so that we can boast and brag in our ability or faithfulness or strength or courage. We are but supporting actors. We are what we are by the grace of God. But so that we might make much of him and so that we might be able to see from heaven's perspective God's redemptive plan, we are given these stories. And so I'll start with the second story. The whole passage for us today starts in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. Jesus' encounter with a synagogue ruler named Jairus, whose daughter was sick unto death. We'll come back to that story in a minute. But while Jesus is walking with this synagogue ruler to his house because of the urgent need of his young daughter, there's a woman And a great crowd that interrupts the moment, seemingly interrupts the moment, but it was something deeper. It was a divine appointment. Read with me, if you will, in the middle of verse 24, the B part, if you will, of verse 24. And what we're going to see here today is that Jesus uh, reigns over death and disease. That Jesus reigns over death and disease, that even death must bow its knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And yes, even sickness and disease as well. Amen? 
It says here, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and has been all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And and Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing about you and yet you say, who touched my garment? Who touched me? And he looked uh, around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and and be healed of your disease. What an extraordinary moment. Uh, to, to fully grasp this moment, you would have to know some of the cultural nuance of this season of uh, the, the history of the nation of Israel. This woman has been hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years, the Bible says. And this is, uh, this is disastrous. This is devastating, not just devastating physically, but it would have been devastating socially. If we had more time, I would take you to Leviticus chapter 15, but make note of it if you could. Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 through 30. Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 through 30. And what it commands is that a woman in this type of condition, outside of her monthly cycle, a woman in this type of condition that had an ongoing uh, bleeding in, in her body would be deemed impure, would be considered unclean, would, would uh, be diagnosed as having a disease. And because of that impurity, anyone who came in contact, not just with her, but the bed sheets, the bed that she slept on, or who would have come in contact with her garments, they themselves would be considered impure. There would have been a whole type of uh, ritualistic healing, I'm sorry, cleansing that she would have had to have gone through after the bleeding in order to be allowed into worship again with the community. So this would have led to a type of social isolation. So you see the desperation of this woman. She is totally, totally desperate. On top of that, we have included in this story uh, this uh, note about her interactions with physicians, that she had gone to many a physician in verse uh, 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 27 and 26. Uh, that she had gone to many physicians and that her situation didn't grow better, it only grew worse. And I don't think this is meant to insult the medical profession. 
Uh, throughout the Bible, physicians are esteemed. And if you're in the medical profession, just know you are greatly appreciated. Your ministry to the body of people is an extension, I believe, of the healing ministry of Jesus. So esteemed are physicians that uh, one of the Gospels, Luke, was written by a physician. And so there's not a sense of disparaging of physicians in Scripture. However, there is an acknowledgement of human limitations, that even the greatest physician, even the best physician from an earthly perspective has their limits. This was not just true in uh, this day, but it's true in our day as well, that even the best of physicians has their limits. There is a limitation on human medicine. In other words, there are certain sicknesses that only Jesus can heal. This is why Jesus steps into this moment. We're going to see two stories that both have one thing in common, and that is they have reached a desperation level where only Jesus could heal, only Jesus could fix. And maybe that's true about a situation in your life. Maybe today, this morning, you are here and you are dealing with something that is beyond doctor's ability to fix. Maybe you're dealing with something this morning that is not physical, but it's beyond maybe a counselor's ability to fix. Or maybe you have tried everything, everyone's advice, everyone's remedy, everyone's guidance. Certainly this woman had got, received more home remedies than you care to list. She had gotten advice from everyone of what their mother did in this situation or what their sister did in this situation. Have you ever been in a moment where everybody had an advice on you and none of it seemed to work? If you've been there before, you know what this woman is going through. But yet she hears the stories of Jesus. And this is why, friends, we have to testify. This is why we cannot keep silent about our relationship with Jesus. In a world and in a culture that uh, presses us to keep quiet, about our relationship with Jesus. We need to resist that temptation and we need to tell the world what he has done for us. If he has given you peace, tell the world about it. If he has given you joy, tell the world about it. If Jesus has restored your life, if he has healed your soul, if he has restored your family, whatever he's done for you, tell the world about it. Tell your family about it. Call a friend, text someone, post on social media, use it for the good, but tell the world about it because whether or not we realize it or not, the world is listening. Someone is hearing. My wife and I were out to eat uh, a couple days ago and we were minding our own business. It was me and my wife and our youngest daughter. And uh, while we're eating, it was a lunch break for me, but I had to get back for a work meeting so uh, we interacted with the people there at the restaurant, got our food, and I ate as quickly as I could, and I came right back over here to the church for a meeting. My wife told me that after I left, one of the young men in the, um, in the place where we were eating came over to her and sparked up a conversation. Said, I couldn't help but notice and, and listen to your conversation. You go to that Woodbridge church, don't you? Well, one thing led to another, and uh, the brother was invited to come, and he says, I'm going to bring my whole family 
out. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus because you never know uh, who's listening. Uh, Lee Strobel, a great evangelist, tells many stories about what he calls ricochet evangelism. What is ricochet evangelism? It's when you're sharing Christ or about Christ with someone and someone you're not even intending to hear is overlooked listening. And they're listening to the story. The next thing you know, God is at work in their life. I don't know how she heard the stories, but I know she heard the stories about Jesus. So much so that she says, there's something special about this man. How many agree that there's something special about this man? There's something different about Jesus. And she purposes in her heart and in her mind, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, praise God. If I can just get close to him, if I can just get in his vicinity, if I can get near to him, I can be made whole. Friends, that's not just true for this woman in her day. It is true for us in our day. That is why we gather. That is why we come together. That is why we invite friends and neighbors and family members. Just get into his presence and watch what God will do. Just get to church and watch what God will do. Just enter into worship and reading his word and watch what God will do. Well, the story is clear. She touches his garment and immediately she is healed. That demonstrates one of the omnis that I talked to you about earlier, that he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful, that when sickness comes into contact with Jesus, that healing wins. Notice the reversal of what I just said, that when we read in Leviticus, we are given this, this picture that when sickness comes into contact with a healthy person, that the sickness wins, that the impurity of the sick person takes on or takes over the healthy person. And you know, by the way, we still believe that now. That's why we stay away from people when they say, I got a flu or I got a cold. It's because we're convinced that their impurity or their sickness or their, their cold or flu, if it comes into contact with us, that we can get it. So we keep our distance. And I'm not saying that's unwise, but what I am saying is that with Jesus, he reverses it all. And when sickness comes into contact with uh, uh, omnipotence, omnipotence wins every single time. And so she is healed. But there's a problem in the text if you're a careful reader, if you've been examining my propositions as you should, if you have been listening with a critical ear, you would have heard me say earlier that he is all-knowing. How many agree with that? That he is all-knowing. So why then does he ask questions? If he is all-knowing, why the questions? Why would he ask this in verse 30? Who touched my garments? Jesus, you're all-knowing. Of course you know who touched your garments. And friends, know this, that whenever Jesus asks a question, it is not for his sake. It is for our sake. You see, this woman wanted what we often want. She wanted healing. He wanted something different. You see, I said earlier that one of the mistakes that we often make when we read about the healing ministry of Jesus is we only look at it from our vantage point. But from heaven's vantage point, what is this moment about? It is not just about 
her having a physical transaction. It is about relationship. He asked the question, who touched my garment? Because he wanted to have a relationship with the person who did. He could have easily just kept going. If this was just about the restoration of her physical body, it had happened. It had already taken place. The blood had stopped flowing. The hemorrhaging was healed. She had already received physical restoration. But I told you that she had a deeper problem. She had a social problem. She had a relational problem. She had a spiritual problem. It can only be cured by the restoration of relationship, which would ultimately restore dignity. And that's what this was about. Dignity being restored through a relationship. And so he says, who touched my garment? Not that he did not know, but so that she could expose herself and have a relationship with him. What did you come for today? Maybe you came because your marriage is in shambles and all you want is your marriage fixed. Maybe you came because you're a parent whose, whose child has lost their mind. Welcome to the teenage years. Or maybe your heart is heavy because of some other issue. Maybe you've come because uh, some economic challenge. Maybe you come because you are desperate, just like this woman was desperate, and what you want is simply for Jesus to fix it. And he has the power to fix it. Make no mistake about it. He has more than enough power to fix our situation. But he wants something more. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. So I'm glad your desperation has brought you near to him, but don't leave here with simply a transaction. Leave here with what you need most. What our souls need most is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And how many thank God that he offers that to us today. He says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And that rest comes through relationship with him. It was a uh, church father, St. Augustine, who says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Friends, our hearts are restless. Your heart, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in Jesus. So this woman is restored. Her dignity is restored. But what else does the healing ministry of Jesus do? Well, it resurrects life. Let's see that. Go back to verse number 21 with me as we look at the first end of this sandwich of stories. It says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Jump down with me, if you will, to verse number 35. Verse 35 picks up this story. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. What a powerful story again. Now, maybe you have noticed, again, if you're reading this carefully, that this is the second time that we see a great crowd was around Jesus. Crowds follow him. Throngs of people follow him. And again, much like in our day, many of them following him because they have needs that they want to see met. And uh, that's not bad to have a need that you want to see met. Many of them, like the two we're reading today, in very desperate or dire situations. And so you're right to come to Jesus for that. But know that he's looking for so much more. In the first story we read, we see that he was looking for a relationship. In this story, we see that he is looking for something even greater. He's looking to change the way that an entire people sees God. He's looking to change the way an entire group of people sees the way that heaven is to operate. Notice that he said in the first story, what healed the woman? It was her faith that made her whole. He wanted her to know that. He wanted her to know that it wasn't just her good luck that made her whole. It wasn't just that the stars aligned that made her whole. No, this was no superstition. It was her faith, her faith that connected her to Jesus. It was her trust in Jesus that made her whole. What can make us whole today? It's our faith. Our faith, not in faith itself. Again, the power, the testimony of the story is not in how great we are, but our faith connected to the right person. Who's the right person for you to connect your faith to? It's Jesus. How many have seen that? That trusting in Jesus is the best thing that a man or a woman could ever do? And there will be times when you will be called upon to trust Jesus in spite of the circumstance. As a dad uh, whose children are getting older, I'm having these conversations with my kids, and I wish, I wish in my heart that my faith, my wife's faith, was enough for them. There are times when we, even as parents, have to tell our kids, you need a faith of your own, that God has no grandchildren, that either you trust him for yourself or you don't trust him at all. But my faith is not enough for your salvation. But I certainly can petition him on your behalf. And so here we have a father who goes to Jesus in desperation. And what is the verdict of his daughter's situation? Well, we see in verse number 22 that the ruler says to Jesus, going into verse number 23, that my daughter is at the point of death. The Greek word there is eschaton. It's where we get the word eschatology from the end of all things. 
When we talk about the end of all things, the book of Revelation, the return of Christ, that's, that's, that's eschatology. What this man is saying is that my daughter is at the end of all things. She's at the end of her life. This is how desperate the situation is. She's at the end of herself. Jesus, I need you to move. If you don't move, she won't be healed. And can you imagine in the, in the midst of that, I won't even get into the emotions of what it must have felt like being that urgent. And then this woman interrupts seemingly the story. I couldn't imagine as a, even as a pastor, how I would have felt. I probably would have said, Jesus, forget about her. Get to my daughter. Maybe you would have said the same thing. But God is big enough for all of us. God does not see any of us as a distraction. He knows how to care for you while he's caring for me and vice versa. Amen? So never, never, never see somebody else's story as an interruption to yours. God is faithful to all of his children. Never be jealous of somebody else's blessing, wondering, God, have you forgotten me? He did not forget about Jairus. He did not forget about his daughter. Even while he was healing the woman, he had both on his mind. And in a room this big, full of all of these people, God has all of us on his mind today. But while he was yet speaking, word comes. Words that no parent ever wants to hear. Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. And for the vast majority of human history, that's the end of the story, isn't it? Death wins. Death wins. From Adam to Jesus, death wins. The end of the story, death wins. Death has shown up. Death declares victory. Death's hand is raised in the middle of the ring. And we go home once again with a loss. But not this time, Satan. Because Jesus is now on the scene. And so Jesus, overhearing the verdict given to him by the servant, he says, take me to your house. But why, Jesus? Because death's not going to win this time. Death is not going to win this time. And so he walks in and there's a commotion. And to understand the commotion and why Jesus dealt with the commotion the way he did, you got to understand that this is a culture where wailing is not just because of sadness, but it's a profession as well. When you want uh, to prove that someone is a significant person or deeply loved, you even hire people to come as professional whalers. It's a part of their ceremonial practice. And so Jesus comes in and he sees not only those who are sincerely wailing, but those who are economically wailing because it is their profession. And he says, why is there so much commotion? And, he's, and, and they say, because the, woman, the, the, the child is dead. And Jesus responds, no, she's not. She's just sleeping. And to show that their wailing wasn't all sincere, the scripture says that some of them begin to laugh at him. They go from wailing to laughter, ridicule all in the same moment. And Jesus just, as only the Lord can, says, it's time for you to leave. I'm here. All of your shouts, all of your wailing will not be able to resurrect this moment. But the resurrection and the life is here. And he takes her by the hand and the girl gets up. And the Bible mentions her, her age as an interesting fact. 
This woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, cut off from society, her future hope cut off, Jesus restores it. This 12-year-old girl with so much of her life still ahead, the enemy wanted to rob her of weddings and celebrations, of motherhood and all of the beauty that lied ahead. And the Bible tells us that she's 12 years old to signify that all of her future life was resurrected, that every hope for her was resurrected. Can I tell you, he can do that for our children as well? Can I tell you, mom, who's crying out desperately, dad, who's crying out desperately, grandma and granddad, who are crying out desperately for your children, that just as Jesus restores this girl and answers mom's and dad's prayer, that he can restore our children as well? And so I take much hope in this. But there is a dilemma, and the dilemma is this. What about for all those parents who cried out for all those children where it seems like death won? Were they not desperate enough? Were their cries and wails not loud enough? What about for us who have seen our children die? Was God unfaithful? Is there not a promise for us? Well, I'm grateful to report to you that there is a promise even for us. Even in my preparation for this, I was reminded of the words of John in the book of Revelation. Maybe you can look there with me. Revelation chapter 21. I love these words in verse number four. Speaking of a future day that is to come, speaking of the promise of heaven and the resurrection, it says in verse number four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away friends I rejoice in the fact that Jesus heals he either heals immediately or he heals ultimately but he will heal. Death does not win. Sickness and disease does not win. He is the resurrection and the life, and we can take hold of that promise that either now or in the, the days to come, in his return, we will see the ultimate fulfillment of his promise where sickness will be no more, death will not be victorious, tears will be wiped away, and life will reign forever and ever and ever. And how many praise God for that fact? Hold tight to the resurrection, friends. And so I want to conclude, but not only does life resurrect, but I want to conclude with the fact that the world is amazed. Look at this. The end of verse number 42 reads as this. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. They were in awe, verse 43. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and uh, told them to give her something to eat. She needs to eat. She's alive. Why did he tell no one, to, uh, charge them to tell no one? It's because it wasn't his time yet to go to the cross. But he's already gone to the cross now. Why were they amazed? That's the bigger question. Why were they amazed? It's because they had seen a testimony of someone going from death to life, and it amazed them. And can I tell you, even in our day right now, what will amaze the world 
is our testimonies of going from death to life. How many here, by the show of hands, by the blood of Jesus, through faith in Christ, have been brought from death to life? Anybody out there? Well, I will tell you, as you tell your story and your testimony, the world will be just as amazed, and they will be drawn to Jesus too. And maybe you're here today, and you have not yet gone from death to life, but you have heard these stories, and you have been amazed. I would encourage you, put your faith in Jesus, and he will turn your death into life. He will resurrect and restore your dignity. He is no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he invites all of us to come to him and put our faith and trust in him. How many can agree that trusting in Jesus is the best thing any of us could ever, ever do? Everybody stand with me all over the church. Let's bow in prayer. Father, this morning I pray that my brothers and sisters who are gathered here would leave with hope, that we would leave with a testimony of the resurrection on our lips, that we would tell the world about you, that we would not keep silent. And I pray also for those who have yet to believe, if there is anyone in here, Lord, that have yet to trust in you, I pray that today they wouldn't just get close to you, but they would say, Jesus, save me now. We ask this in the mighty and matchless name of our Savior, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.